Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. everyone welcome to episode six and today we're going to be talking about star trek the 2009 version but before we begin leslie have you been listening to anything no nothing 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 i Uh, thought i did but i guess i was mistaken (laughs) i went back and looked through my stuff and i realized that it must have been on the radio and she really did she looked on youtube and spotify and there was nothing there well i haven't really been listening to anything different other than the score we're going to be talking about today but there was one track it was for the new justice league it was by uh, tom hulkenberg uh also known as junkie xl it was called the crew at war power and it sounds awesome i mean it really really, yeah i mean considering that danny elfman did the you know initial the theatrical version of justice league i love danny elfman i like danny elfman too but that scarf is very generic even though he brought in like the batman theme the superman theme wonder woman and the flash it was still Eh. So along I with thought a, there, I thought he didn't like working on the movie. Who, Danny Elfman? Yeah. I don't know. Wasn't there controversy with Danny Elfman on something that he didn't? They they told him. You know, you're thinking about Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he worked with Sam Raimi, and he said something about. Uh, I remember reading an article somewhere saying that he was like working with the a pod person almost. And he odd person, yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's really weird. Uh, there, I don't know the whole reasoning why he said that. I guess because Sam Amory was so um demanding because he, he was even wanting um Danny Elfman to do a lot of music like Christopher Young, and he was like, I'm Danny Elfman, not Christopher Young. Oh, okay, yeah, I think we had this conversation before, yeah, a few episodes ago, maybe, yeah, did we? I think so. Maybe. <laughs> it's starting to blur together. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Star Trek, the 2009 version directed by J.J. Abrams, starring Chris Pine, Zoe Saldana, Anton Yelchin, Carl Urban, I mean, you know, Simon Pegg, can't forget him. Great cast, great film, and it also brought in Michael Giacchino, who is best known for a lot of J.J. Abrams products, including Felicity, Lost, uh, Mission Impossible 3. TV scores, mostly. Yeah. Before. Yeah, before. Did not know that he started off scoring video games. Neither did I, until you told me, and I'm like, what? His very first score was Gargoyles in 1995. The cartoon? Yeah, the cartoon, but it was the video game for the Sega Genesis. So he did the cartoon and the game. No, no, he just did the game. Oh, okay. No, no, he didn't do the cartoon. I used to watch that cartoon. Uh, I, I mean, this is according to IMDb. I mean, I don't know if he did or not, but according to his IMDb, the very first credit that he has is Gargoyles in 1995. Yeah, I was a teenager watching a cartoon. Don't judge. <laughs> oh, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I was a teenager still watching Rugrats. <laughs> I wouldn't admit to that. I just did. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and I mean, it, to come all the way from, you know, 16-bit scores to scoring 
Star Trek. That's that's an amazing accomplishment. Well, I read somewhere where uh, he said that he looked up to John Williams. That was one of his uh, idols. And, you know, listening to this piece, which we'll get into, um, you know, it, it kind of is reminiscent of those old composers. It really is. And that's, that's funny you mentioned John Williams, that he looked up to him, because in 1997, his third video game that he scored was Jurassic Park Chaos Island. I bet he enjoyed that. Oh, you, you could tell, too, because I listened to the score. And now, the score was very synthesized. Uh, there, I, from what I heard, there was no real orchestrations in there, but it, it had a, a very heavy or orchestral sound. I can't get the word out today. It had a very orchestral sound to it, which was sounded, it still sounded good from what I heard. And then in 1997, same year, he scored the Lost World Jurassic Park for the PlayStation. Now, this is the first time I ever... PlayStation 1? Yeah, for the PlayStation 1. PlayStation 1, Sega Saturn, and everything else. Now, I have the game. It's right over there. I used to take PlayStation games and put them in CD players to hear the... Because they would sometimes play the score or something like that. And for this one, I remember playing the score off, off of the game and listening to it. I did not know it was Michael Giacchino. I had no idea who he was or nothing, but I really liked the score to the game. Well, you know, after doing this exercise um, for the Star Trek, I felt like Michael Giacchino is not given the credit that he's due. I, I believe that he needs to be elevated up to some of the big names, um, listening to some of his stuff. Uh, he's done amazing work. He really has. And and, and you're right. He, he is very underrated. Um, now, he is getting up there in the bigger names because, I mean, he's scoring the Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, uh, you know, all three of the Star Trek films. He did two Mission Impossibles. And um, I'm trying to think of another big... The, the Incredibles, that was another one. And he's got some bigger films coming up. He did Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and he's also scoring Jurassic World Dominion. Another big name uh, film that he has coming up the Batman. The oh, one. yes. I'm kind of excited about that. I am, too, because I, I love Giacchino's work, which I did not really like his work at first. I, I have to admit that. Hearing it on Lost, I, was, I did not like his yeah, style. Yeah, you know, and he said that he's he's been typecast. They're like, oh, yeah, he's the video game guy, and they wouldn't hire him for, for jobs until, you know, J.J. Abrams saw his potential. Um one of the interviews uh, I listened to, I think it was Classic FM, uh, had a clip of the interview. He, he said that. He felt like he was typecast a lot. And I can understand that. I mean, because if you're scoring mainly video games, they're, they're mainly going to want you for video games. I, I have that problem sometimes, too. There's a lot of directors, oh, you score a lot of horror films. Oh, no, I'm just a straight-up composer, but I get hired for a lot of horror films. And with, with Giacchino, I, I didn't really like his work until Mission Impossible 3. That's when I really started to open up and listen to him. And that's when I found the Medal of Honor games that he did. Those, seriously, uh, if you guys, you know, anybody listening has not heard the Medal of Honor scores, please go back. They're on Spotify. Go in there, find them, listen to them. Fantastic scores. Very, very John Williams inspired. Very. I mean, it, it the 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 themes, everything. It, it's it's very heavy, John Williams. Which ones have he? Which ones did he score? Do you know? Um, uh, the majority of the Medal of Honor games. 
Uh, there were a few that Christopher Lennertz did, and he carried over Michael Giacchino's score. But uh, Giacchino actually just came back for one of the the uh, VR Medal of Honor game. And he worked with somebody else, but he was still. That's nice that he's still flip flopping between right. movies and video games. And I think, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, no, that is really good. And with this film, I was completely blown away by the score. You know, I uh, as I just mentioned, I was. Uh, Reading classic FM and because they had a little um, a little uh, piece on him and uh, Star Trek, and they had a clip. And uh, Giacchino said that working on Star Trek was the hardest thing he'd ever done up to this point in his career. He said because there was a lot of expectations placed on him. He didn't want to upset the fans. He didn't want to upset the new fans. Which is understandable. You know, it was a lot of pressure that you know was put onto him, and uh, so for the longest time he had issues writing the theme you know he's he said that he wrote 21 themes before coming up with the main theme of this film and he said that it was the screenwriter that suggested that he just focus on the relationship between Kirk and Spock and in doing so he was able to create the theme for this film which is awesome because the, the relationship with what he come up with he is such a heroic sounding theme. I mean, and that's and he used the relationship between Spock and Kirk as the the basis for that. That's that's awesome. That, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine coming up with twenty one different themes for something that now mind boggling. I've had to go back and redo a lot of themes before, but I have never had to do that many. But I mean, that many revisions, I, right? Yeah. <laughs> But, of course, I haven't tackled a big, giant franchise like Star Trek. So, yeah, I can understand there was probably a lot of pressure right then and there. So, in the end, he just went off and just basically did his own thing, from what it sounds like. It did. You know, he, he he's got to a point, if I remember correctly in the interview, he said he just got to the point where he just put all of that behind him and then just started writing and wrote what he thought that it needed to sound like. Right. And I felt like in doing so and listening to the score, he had captured the spirit of Star Trek because I did go back and listen to the very first motion picture the, score. Uh, yeah, Star Trek, the motion picture mm-hmm. by uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Yes. I went back and listened to excerpts from that to compare to this new one. And I felt like he did, in, in writing this score, uh, keep the spirit of Star Trek alive. Um, but on the flip side, he did his own thing. So it sounds like his style, even though it gave homage to Star Trek. I was amazed by it. Yeah. Now I, we, I, I went back with you and listened to a couple of those scores. Oh, well, the, a couple of tracks from the, uh, Jerry Goldsmith score. Now we didn't go back and listen to the TV series score. We went to the movies only because I mean, Star Trek, mo- yeah, yeah. I mean, the, we're, we're reviewing the movies not the tv series which we may do one day i don't know i mean later on down the road but goldsmith who is a fantastic composer you know like award-winning composer uh the score felt a little flat we both talked about this and, and it did not have the same you know resonating factor that Chikino's score did with us. I mean, because I, I didn't have the same emotion listening to it. I didn't. You know, in the few pieces that I listened to, it's like I got lost 
Yeah. And I don't mean in a good way in the music. Granted, I have gotten lost in a good way in the music and I didn't want the music to stop, you know. Right. It, it was great. No, this is I got lost and I got bored. And I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I hear the theme and I'm like so, It's like it just came out of nowhere. That's right. And it's like no no. So, no, you no. know, maybe one day we will do the original Star Trek. Yeah. Um, I think it would be good uh, for us to listen to From it. From what I remember, that film was very, very slow. Yeah, I was kind of slow. Maybe they maybe it's been that, a while since I've seen it. Yeah, that's the same here. I mean, I, 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 growing up, my brother was the Star Trek person. I was not. I was more. I mean, we both like Star Wars, you know, equally. But I, I was not a big Star Trek fan, like my brother was. So he was a Star Wars and Star Trek fan, right. and you just like Star Wars. I didn't really like Star Trek until The Next Generation came out, and I, it's still, I wasn't like an avid watcher. Oh, and I then, love Star Trek, especially the old episodes. I See, I never watched the old episodes up until I got older, and then when they came out with Deep Space Nine, I I fell, I was like, nah, no, I'm good. And then they started coming out with the, um, I, I remember watching some of the older movies, not a lot of them. And then when they came out with uh, Star Trek Generations, which was the Next Generation crew films, I, you know, I started watching them. I liked them. They were fun, but they were still were not as endearing to me as Star Wars was until this new version comes out, the, the 2009 film that we're talking about today. When that came out, it had like a breath of fresh air, and the score was one of the things that was very notable about it. You know, so when we sat down and we were listening to the score, um, I noticed that uh, he took the motif, which is the theme, you know, uh, took the theme that he wrote for the film and he reworked it throughout the whole score. Yeah. You hear it in places, you hear it where he stretches it out, you hear it where it's very subtle, but it's still there, the presence right. of it's still there. Um, I've heard it in different key in the score, you know, he's, but he's changed a whole bunch of aspects about, uh, the motif, but it's still there. Um, and he, he interwoven it throughout the whole piece or the the whole score, which I thought was wonderful. Um, I loved it. I loved how he did that. You know, and it still had that Star Trek feel to it as he did that. It did. Yeah. It did. Now, there were a lot of moments where the score almost sounded a little goofy, a little comical. And at first, you know, when I heard this in the theaters, I'm like, what kind of a score is he going for? What's going on here? And But it, it once it started hitting the action beats and the, the theme kept coming in there, it was fantastic. And then Nero's theme came in. That menacing sound... And how he reworked that so many different times. With the brass. Yeah, it was fantastic. The low brass coming in there, the way that, oh, it was Very villainous. Yeah. It it fit the theme of Nero. It fit that character. And the other thing I noticed was that he had a nice mix. So he had his action pieces in there. And uh, you you could hear the action, uh, you know, elements in the score. And then he had some dramatic pieces in there and uh but it was a balance it was really well balanced and um it it wasn't overbearing one or the other but you know if you watched a movie there was a lot of elements of action and like star trek and then there were some you know dramatic elements in there the dramatic moments in the score now he would go the traditional route with the orchestra but there were a lot of moments in there where it sounded almost 
had like a Japanese feel to it. And I guess that's to symbolize Vulcan. I noticed that as well. And that was one thing which we'll get to when we start talking about the movie that you noticed where it sh- it was showing the planet and it says like Iowa and then it shows Vulcan, like Vulcan is <laughs> Well, they they mentioned that in the commentary. They were, uh, I think there was the screenwriters were laughing at J.J. Abrams. It was like, oh, Vulcan, like it's just some other place. You know, like, okay, Vulcan. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I did notice the Asiatic element to it, which I thought was peculiar choice. Um, but, but it worked. But it worked. And he might have... And it flowed nicely. Utilize that, you know, to symbolize, you know, the, the Vulcans. Maybe, maybe or that the was... the Romulans. Uh, you know, I I think that was more. It was more to symbolize the Vulcan giving them their own voice. But you know, Vulcans and Romulans are related. Even Spock said so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is true. That is true. Geeky moment. Anyway, yeah. um, so uh, I noticed that there was a nice marrying of those pieces, and right. then you know, here my favorite piece: shoots and matter. So we just ruined the ending part of the podcast. Yes, our favorite. Both of our favorite scores is Shoots and Matter. How do we ruin the end of the podcast? Because we always talk about our, our questions at the end. No, no. This is our favorite piece of the score. Okay. Not the favorite movie piece. Okay, okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I just ruined it for you because you just let it out of the bag. That, that well, yeah. was your favorite yeah. scene of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Well, no, it wasn't my favorite scene. Oh, okay. It was my favorite score piece, though. That is my favorite score piece, and it's because... I'm a flautist, and the head woodwinds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and they weren't overbearing either. No, and and that's one of the things I've noticed. He used the piccolo in such a way that it wasn't overpowering. You know, one piccolo could overpower the whole orchestra, just like one out of tune French horn can make the whole orchestra <laughs> sound horrible. <laughs> but he used. <laughs> serious i've seen it he's utilized the piccolo in such a way that it added to that action element he had flutes trilling uh and there were some runs he used in there you know how john williams is very notorious for a lot of his runs especially in uh, um a lot of his his uh, marches and whatnot um it wasn't overbearing it was nicely balanced and sometimes with, with John, I, I love John Williams, but sometimes with his runs, it can be a little overbearing. I've played his music. <laughs> I thought that I would enjoy playing Harry Potter. <laughs> but sight reading Harry Potter made my t- fingers tired. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe it because <laughs> I've had to score a Star Wars fan film and I had to put those runs in there. So, yeah. The other thing, it reminds me of the Stars and Stripes Forever March. There's another one that I do not like. <laughs> Sight reading. Uh-uh. Well, and the reason why I like that score piece, even just by listening to it, I I am a big sucker for having a rhythm going with brass. I mean... If, You're if the, a rhythm man. You like rhythm. Right. And, and if you can do that with brass and it sounds enjoyable to listen to... And it's and the way this piece just starts up, it, it was fantastic. And I, I thought it was great how it just kicked in like that. I mean, because it just starts up and it starts up with this rhythm section with the brass. It was great. It was. And and you know, as I said, that I noticed the use of woodwinds, but what amazed me was that the woodwinds added to that suspenseful fill. It did not um 
it wasn't overbearing and um it, it fit in nicely with the overall piece now let's talk about the track name for a moment shoots and matter i mean <laughs> shoots and ladders basically that was one of the things that just stood out right then and there was the track names or the score cues. The, the names were hilarious. I mean, all right, let, let me just read some of these off for you. Hack to the future. Vulcan gets a good drilling. That's just terrible. Hangar management. Flying into a shiver. <laughs> Shoots and matter, which I mentioned. A hole in my hearth. I've fallen and I can't beam up. You snowing me. Does it still McFly? So, <laughs> I love that. So, does it still McFly? Well, I think there's a couple other ones in there, but that was the ones that I really... Yeah. Come on. That, that's hilarious. <laughs> you know, puns are so old school. They used to be so popular back in the 1920s. You know, uh, everybody thought puns were great. And it's, it's intellectual humor, really. And... Uh, when I was uh, listening to the interview with him, he said that he, he said some people were like, really, you know, this is kind of insensitive to the Star Trek fans for you to um, to name some of these pieces this way. He's like, but this is how he's always done it. He's always been, you know, had fun with the name of his music. Well, he said something about he was worried that the fans were going to get mad at him because he was going to be... Right. You know, cracking jokes on the track names and everything else, which, you know, I think everybody was okay with it. I'm okay with it. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. I love puns. Well, it fit this type of Star Trek because this is not the normal Star Trek. This is not, you know, William Shatner pausing at every line. So Star Trek. serious. <laughs> this is something different. This is more of an action adventure sci-fi Star Trek. This was... Um, I don't know. It's like they injected a little Star Wars into Star Trek. Well, J.J. Abrams likes both, so. Exactly. That's evident. Right. Now, that was listening to the score itself. Now, watching it, watching the film and, and judging the score, it, it fit. Everything fit about it. It fit nicely, and, you know, as an opening scene, for example, um, the opening scene, uh, you know, where Nero comes and um, uh, goes and destroys the the captain, which uh, in which uh, Kirk's uh, dad was serving on that ship. Right. You know, and uh, his dad uh, took over as captain and then knew that he there was no way out, that he was going to die. And it was some somber music played there at the beginning, and it was sad. And I felt like he captured the moment of that scene quite well. Um, because, you know, his baby boy was just born, and uh, he asked his wife to describe the baby because he knew that he was never going to see him, you know. And... But his music captured that element, and uh, I felt—I mean, it, I felt emotional watching that scene. And, let, and that's the opening. Yeah, that's the opening of the film, and, and uh, something about that scene in particular. It was amazing how they just kind of stopped, you know, almost muted all the sounds and had mainly just the music playing. Now, 
I mean, not a lot of films do that. Well, yeah, you have the sound design. It has background right. noise in. or And then mainly all want. you hear, you hear the two actors talking. You hear the very subtle hints of, you know, crashes and booms and everything else. But it's mainly music. Music and the dialogue. I mean, that, it was one thing I, I remember watching this film going, that's amazing. And the score was awesome for that scene. It was seriously amazing. And then after, you know, Chris Hemsworth plunges into the fire and becomes Thor later on, <laughs> <laughs> the, the you know, Michael Giacchino's theme comes in, you know, and it comes in hard, hitting. I mean, I think just... The, and the first time that I watched this, uh, not for this exercise, but the first time I watched that, when that theme kicked in, I got goosebumps. And I remember getting goosebumps watching it I think I watched it in the theaters. Yeah, I watched it in the theaters, and when that when that theme came in, I was like, "Whoa, yeah, okay." I felt <laughs> I it. like this. And of course, then I had a geeky moment. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so great!" You know, right? And, and you know, before this, uh, you never really heard much of uh, Michael Giacchino. No, I mean, you've heard his work, but you just never knew really who he was. And then I started naming off some of the stuff he did, like Star Wars Rogue One, and that was a that was a great score, which he only did in three weeks. Yeah, and I liked Rogue One for the most part. We need to add that to our list. Yep. We need to make a mental note. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it, it, it was a... The, there were no parts watching the film where I felt like the score was overbearing or there should have been, you know... Or, it, it or just, I wanted more. Right, or yeah. I wanted more. And it's just... That is a sign that the the guy knew what he was doing. It was nicely placed. It was nicely balanced. And as I mentioned, it was very reminiscent of the Star Trek. He kept the, the spirit of Star Trek throughout the whole score. And then it still sounded like a music composition, a piece. And what I mean by that is that it sounded like old school composers. You know what it made me think of? It made me think of what if John Williams scored a Star Trek film. Exactly. I thought the same thing. And so when I looked back and read about, uh, you know, that John Williams was one of his uh, heroes or one of the people that he looked up to, I'm like, I see that now. Because as listening to his other pieces of music, it's quite reflective of that fact, that he liked the old composers. Right. And and there there's been a lot of scores that I've heard that Giacchino has has done that sounded very old school, very classical. And I mean, with this film right here, that gives you a testament of how great of a composer he really is. So, you know, does it work for the film? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can't imagine a different score in it. I can't either. Yeah. And like I said, and there there's so many moments where there it comes off very goofy sounding. I I don't know if you noticed that. Well, there's a, a comedic element throughout the whole movie. You look at Scotty, for example, and his green friends. You know that's <laughs> very very funny. And then you know it's kind of scary. But then when they beamed aboard the Enterprise from you know where they were at, you know Scotty ended up in. The water pipes. Yeah, and that truck um, name was uh, Scotty Gets Tanked or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and uh, it was still kind of comic at the same time, you know? Right. Uh, or one of my favorite parts of the movie, and this is not because of the score, but my favorite part of the movie is uh, when um, 
Uh, Bones kept shooting uh, Kirk with something in the neck. Oh, you got, you know, ah, stop I got to fix that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you sort of thing. I can fix it. that. Numb tongue. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I can fix that. Or when his hands are extra solid. Yeah, no. Ohura's like, oh my God, your hands. <laughs> He goes, ah! Which you know, on the commentary, on the commentary, they said that you know every time Kirk got shot with that thing, that thing was supposed to help it, where it's you know less painful for people, but for some reason, for comedic purposes, for Kirk, it hurts him every single time. So, and and the score reflected that. I, I thought that was great. And so, so, you know, when you listen to the score and you heard those funny pieces. It's because there there are some, you know, uh, comedic moments throughout the movie. Um, and then, of course, you know, as the movie progresses, we get to our scene that we were just talking about, shoots and matter. Well, they're on top of the drill, and the drill is shooting. And fighting. Right. And, and it, was, it was a great, I, I really, you know, before I listened to the score when it's on, I really liked that scene because of that score piece. So, you're, 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 that was the best part for you, was the, um, the, uh, the shoots and matter, or... Um, no, I like the shoots of matter, especially with the score. Um, the fighting, of course, is reminiscent of um, Star Trek. I kind of wish that he would have brought the old fight theme in there from the original show. Uh, but that's just wishful thinking. Uh, well, but, he wanted to go off and do his own thing. But it worked well. Um, and as I you know, talked about earlier, the balance between the the uh, woodwinds and the lower brass, it was real nice. It didn't slow the piece down. Um, and, of course, then we see, you know, the loss of the red shirt. You know, they had to throw right, a red shirt right, in there yeah. dying, and Olsen. they did. Olsen. He, he, was like, you know, he was like Engineer Olsen or something like that. I can't remember the guy's name. And it's yeah. funny because when you see in the shuttle, you're like, isn't he wearing a red shirt? You know, one was wearing gold, one was wearing blue, and then the other was wearing red. And you're like, he was going to mm. die. <laughs> uh, but the fight scene was in true spirit of Star Trek, I right. felt, and uh, I liked how the score was interjected in there. My favorite part, um, for like the longest time, was was that thing that that part there. But I I I really like the ending part where Spock is driving, you know, the new sh- the the ship with the red matter. Uh, uh, he's driving it straight into Nero and everything else, and the choir comes in. And it's playing. They're 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 humming or singing the theme to the you know that Jacino created, and there and there's so much chaos going on, especially with the score, and it's rising, and you know the tension is, and it, it sounded almost gorgeous and beautiful, but at the same time very haunting and and menacing and scary because Nero's theme would come in there every so often, and it was a it was a great moment in the film not just because it's the ending but because the score just really ramped it up and made you a part of that scene with the choir coming in and everything else i'm a sucker for choir i am too you can get take a creepy movie and add choir and it makes it creepier you could take a drama and add choir and you can make it sounding self-righteous like okay we're gonna do this or the same for a sad movie you could take a, a romance or you know something that's sad a sad drama and add choir and it makes you want to cry. I mean, choir is so versatile and you can do so much with it. And I think it was well placed in the movie. Um, and it did. It gave that feel of, okay, we're going to accomplish, you know. Yeah, it was great. Accomplish. So that, that was my favorite part of the film. Now, what could have been done better for this film for, as terms of score? I don't think anything, really. Me either. No, nothing is coming to the top of my head. Um, I did like the fact that he did take the original theme. 
at the very end with the end credits. And you could hear elements of it. Right, uh, one yeah. One of the scenes, there was elements where he had it kind of in the background, but it was, it was the, doing the um, theme. It was a scene where the shuttle's taken off, where Kirk finally decided to you know, join Starfleet and everything else, and the shuttle's flying off. If you there Very closely. I mean, in the film, you can notice it, but with the score itself, you can really notice it. There's like the little hint of the original theme coming in there. And then, of course, the very end of the film, they got the planets going in there, and he's got the original TV series theme coming in there. Not the Jerry Goldsmith version, the uh, the original show coming in there. But he also weaves his theme in there as well. Yeah, and I like that, you know, because it was very reflective of the movie itself. Because the movie itself is supposed to happen on the Kelvin timeline. And right. it's supposed to be kind of like, you know, an offset of... Uh, and I, What's going on? I, I thought that right there, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I thought that right there, what they did, creating their own timeline, was fantastic that the way they could not upset all the fans. But his mu- his you know, his music was really reminiscent of that. So yeah, it, it was very Star Trek y, but it was his own. So even his music reflected the movie itself in my opinion where you know you've got is star trek but it's not because you know you've got the old spot coming and saying you know you didn't know your dad you know kind of surprised because it's an alternate timeline right i I thought that was great that was a great idea what they did creating their own timeline they could basically just do whatever they want i had a geeky moment and i'm just like oh it's still true but not this is something new (laughs) you know i was excited i was so excited when it came out and and you know his you know Jaquino's score reflected that yeah every every moment so th- to me there was nothing that could have been done better I agree you know I thought about it um, but I think that it was well executed and he did a marvelous job he did he did so and you know like you said we still think that Jaquino is a very underrated composer I do absolutely and you know listening to his pieces and the complexity of his pieces. Um, and all the different uh, movement he had in his pieces, um, you know, it's really, uh, to me, on a master level. It I, is. I cannot write music. I have tried. You know, I, I play different instruments, and I know how the music's supposed to sound, but <laughs> when it comes down to it, I sit down and I try to write. I can't. It's hard for me. Um, but... Also, I think music theory is boring. I never really liked it, <laughs> and I would sleep through that class. So, you know, uh, I think that for him to to write like he does, and that he had the beginning uh, from uh, video game music, to me is just marvelous. I mean, I always knew he did video game music, like from Medal of Honor, but I didn't know it was video game music in terms of like 16-bit, like Sega Genesis I I was completely blown away when I learned that. I was like, what? He started off like this? Man, okay, well. And, and I actually found like a, a, a clip online on YouTube of someone playing the game. And you can hear moments of what sounds like Medal of Honor in there or, or Star Trek, for example. I mean, there were moments in there where listening to the score where it sounded like you could tell it was Michael Giacchino. And I was, I was like, God, even back then he still was, you know, creating these complex themes and everything else. I thought it was great. So in, in closing, overall, we really liked the score. I mean, not only did we like the film, we really liked the score as well. And, you know, Giacchino did a fantastic job 
of bringing new emotion while bringing old emotion as well. I thought that was great. So, uh, as always, you can catch us on any social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email, measuringthescore at gmail.com. You can catch our podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, Classic FM, iHeartRadio, tons of other places that I can't really remember right now because my brain is just fried. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're available on a lot of different streaming platforms and um, give us a rating. Let us know. You know, let us know what you think of the podcast. If you've got a score yourself that you want us to cover, review, listen to, whatever, or film, let us know. Send it to us. You know, we'd love to hear from you. So as always, thank you for listening. For Measuring the Score, I'm Chris Lott. And I'm Leslie Lott. Have a good one.